you're listening to Sermon Audio from Redeemer Church, where we are disciples of Jesus in life together, making disciples. So check out our other media, or to find out more information about our church, visit RedeemerSGF.com. The entrance of sin into the world brought about death to the mind, the soul, the body of every single person, every single being, everything on the planet. All animals, everything God made felt the break from good and embraced the permanency of bad, if you will. And so like the Titanic, this seemingly unbreakable creation was now fractured and quickly sinking. But unlike the Titanic and unlike its builder, God is not flawed and He has power to restore His broken creation And also, he was not caught off guard or surprised at the entrance of sin. It was all a part of the divine plan. If we recall, Jesus, the Lamb, slain before the foundation of the world. And that element, that is very mysterious of God. And trying to think philosophically, why would God create such a world that would allow such pain? And we can't answer the fullness of it. But ultimately, what we do know is for the purpose that His glory would be revealed through His Son. Today's story is a reminder of the brokenness of creation and God's powerful work to restore. The Titanic still sits at the bottom of the ocean. The lives of those who perished are still gone. But the work that God does is He takes what is broken and restores it. He takes what has died and brings them back to life and so what we're going to see in the story today is a man who was born blind who would be then given sight by jesus and so this man for the first time in his life will begin to see physically see the world around him and this man for the first time will also be able to see by faith the son of god And as this chapter progresses beyond verse 12, you will actually be able to see that this man who was born blind could actually see. And those who were born not blind are actually blind. So today, we will see the works of God displayed in these verses. The works of God displayed. The Father, we will see in the first three verses, works in the pain. The Father works in the pain. In verses 4-7, through we'll see how the Father works in the light. And thirdly, in in the second part of 7-12, through we'll see how the Father works so that we can receive sight. So the works of God displayed are that the Father works in the pain, He works in the light, and He works so we can receive the sight. And so kiddos, if you're drawn today, And I want to let you know, this is all really awesome. What you kids are doing, I have a stack of papers on my desk this big of your drawings that you end up leaving on your clipboards, but they're the drawings of what we're doing. And not only that, you have Scripture written next to it and even some notes. Like you guys are capturing some of this information, which is really fun and cool. So I'm going to keep a hold of them. So I'm going to encourage you today to keep on doing that. It helps you kind of absorb and learn what we're talking about. If you could draw a picture, however it is, 
a picture of a man who is blind. Right? Maybe he's begging for money. He's sitting down because obviously he can't really walk around easily. And then next to that, draw the same man again, but this time with sight. Maybe standing up. Maybe really happy and excited because he can now see the world around him. Can you guys do that? A picture of a man blind and a picture of a man who can now see. Can you do that, kids? Say yes if you can do that. All right. I love it. Love it. Got one? No. That's okay. The Father works in the pain. Verses 1-3 through of chapter 9. As He passed by, He saw a man blind from birth. And His disciples asked Him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So this man was born blind. Montgomery Boyce kind of helped paint this bigger picture for me as I was studying The man born blind helps us learn a few things about ourselves. More than just the physical blindness of this man, there's also a spiritual reality of what is going on here in the Gospel of John. And so here are some of the things that we learn from this man who is blind. First, is that we are all blind to God. We are all walking in darkness. As I mentioned, God created all things, but as soon as sin entered into the world, it was darkness that enveloped us. And we have all been walking in darkness, and we are all blind to God. Spiritually, we have no ability to seek God. When we're blind, we can't seek Him. We wouldn't even know where to go. And third, because we were blind, we couldn't find God. We could seek and seek and seek, but never find Him. But lastly, it is God who must seek us, who must find us, who must open our eyes with the light of the Gospel. And it is that light, His light, that must penetrate the darkness that we continued to walk in according to the ways of the flesh. So this man represents for us our spiritual journey from darkness into light and that it is God who found us. It is God, the great shepherd, who came to the lost sheep, who opened our eyes, who made us able to see. And so keep that in mind as we work through the text. So the disciples are with Jesus here. And we don't know exactly the time frame from the last interaction in uh, John chapter 8 and here. We were at the Feast of Tabernacles, but by the time we get into chapter 10, we're at the the Feast of Dedication. And so there's about a two-month window. Somewhere in this time frame, Jesus has this interaction with the disciples. And remember, last week when we talked, Jesus openly and clearly exclaimed to the Jewish authorities that He was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Mincing no words, not saying I was, but saying I am, meaning I am God. And so they wanted to kill him, but they could not. And so he slipped out from their midst. And here we have this next story. 
And so the question of the disciples isn't necessarily out of left field. Culturally speaking, they see this man who was born blind, and as disciples, they're learners, they're students, they want to know, Rabbi, who sinned here? Help us understand when we see somebody who is blind, perhaps, or lame, or paralyzed and begging, surely this is connected to sin somehow. But there was a little bit of flaw in their thinking. It was kind of this either-or mentality. If it's not one thing, it must be the other. Either this man sinned or his parents sinned. And because this man was born blind, surely his parents must have sinned. It's the same sort of assumptions we see in the Old Testament, especially with the prophet Job. When the Lord allowed the devil to have his way with his family and his friends come along, surely you must have sinned, Job. It's that sort of mentality. There are times in the Bible where your sin or the sins of the people do impact or have a serious consequence with them. And one of those that we've been talking about for the last several weeks was captivity, which is why you have the Feast of Tabernacles, celebrating coming out of captivity, right? Celebrating coming out of slavery and coming into freedom. That sort of captivity to the Babylonians, if you will, was a result, a direct result of rebellion and sin against God. So the direct consequence for that was captivity. But not all things, not all broken things, not all consequences in life are necessarily the result of a person sinning and therefore being punished. The New Testament does show as well that there are times that when we do sin, there is a direct consequence for it. We see that in 1 Peter, a husband who does not honor and love his wife, his prayers as a result are hindered. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that if you partake of the Lord's Supper and communion in an unworthy manner, some of the people in Corinth became sick, some even died. You see in Acts as well when Ananias and Sapphira came before the apostles when everybody was tithing what everybody was giving all they could for the church they they lied about what they gave and they dropped dead you see the penalty and the consequences of sin in both the old and the new testament though not every single consequence not every time you sin is there a radical consequence God chooses to discipline His people in a variety of ways when His people sin. And that is ultimately left for God to decide, not us. And so we have to be careful, we have to be careful not to assign motives or reason that God Himself does not clearly assign or give. We cannot be quick to judge or assign either blessings or curses to individuals based on their current afflictions or blessings. Oh, you've been blessed with a nice car. You must be doing things really well and God is blessing you. Oh, you lost your car. You must be sinning in some sort of way. That is a wrong way of thinking about things. It's the same erroneous way of thinking the disciples have here. Oh, his parents must have sinned. Here's what we do need to know. Everything in life is affected by the fall. P. 
People who are not blind, who can walk, who have no disability, are just as broken as people with disabilities. All of us are equally broken. All of us are equally flawed. All of us are equally sinners. And all of us equally need a Savior. R.C. Sproul says that we have to be careful not to make a one-to-one ratio of sin to afflictions. So Jesus answers these disciples. No, it's not that His parents sinned in some way that caused Him to be blind. It was so that the work of God would be displayed in Him. The work of God displayed. That word displayed can also mean to bring to the light. To expose. To make plain. To reveal. So the works of God were coming to light where? In this man. Up to this point in John's Gospel, the light has constantly been a point of tension and friction. Constantly rejected. Right? We've seen nothing but hostility towards Jesus in the last several weeks of working through John's Gospel. But now, for the next several chapters, we are going to see now how the light is positively received. Though the world will still reject it, you'll see how the light comes in and positively affects people. Church, there's no doubt consequences to sins in our life. But we have to remember that not everything in life that is broken or an affliction is a result of your sin. God must be punishing me for what I've done. You have to be careful and be slow and cautious to jump to such conclusion. Unless the Lord has made that abundantly clear by His Word, you have to be slow to just assume that God is out to get you. We know from Scripture, God is not out to get anybody. All things in life, no matter how normal they seem, are broken. So we have to discern the difference between what is a result of our sin and really what is just a simple result of the fall. Furthermore, and regardless of whether or not an affliction in life is the result of our sin or not, we must see that all of it becomes an opportunity for God to display His wonderful works of light through it all. Meaning there's nothing too far gone or too far broken or heinous, for Him to not overcome it with the light of Christ. In our blindness, we look for relief. We seek for help. And often, no matter how hard we try, we cannot find the healing that we are so desperately looking for or desire. And as the pain and affliction of our lives seem to overwhelm and take our full attention, Jesus finds us with the purpose that the works of the Father might be revealed in us. So church, give thanks. Give thanks this morning that God has not forgotten you. Give thanks that God has found you when you could not find Him. Give thanks to God this morning that God does not waste your pain, but uses it to bring you to greater joy and glory. Your suffering and pain are not a waste but they're being used. The world is nothing but pain. All of it. All of it's pain. 
There's nothing in this world that was not affected by the sin in the garden. When sin entered in, darkness covered the entire planet in every way. Pain, affliction hits all of us differently and at different times. It's unavoidable. All of us will deal with it. So church, how has pain or how has affliction hit you in life? Do you know God has a plan for good with your pain? I was reminded of Ephesians 5, 8-14. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed, pay attention to this, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. What the Scripture is saying is, the darkness that is overcoming you, or the pain or the affliction, or whatever it is, when the light of Christ comes in, the darkness flees. And what was darkness is now light. It is redeemable. As I've said before, that means then you're not damaged goods. We're all sinners. We're all broken. But when the light comes in, it turns it into light. It doesn't just throw you away. So God takes your pain. He takes your affliction. He takes the darkness and turns it into light. So how has God displayed His light in you? What darkness has overshadowed you in life? And can you see how God has been making it visible? Turning it into light? And if not, maybe it's time for you to come out of the darkness and receive the light and not reject it anymore. We've talked about this picture of Jesus being the light of the world, representing... Remember the the pillar of fire that led Israel in the wilderness. You don't want to be too close to the fire. You also don't want to be too far away. And as the fire would move, you follow the fire. And if the fire moves and leads and you don't move, the light becomes distant and further away and the more in the dark you become. God is calling us to follow Jesus, the light of the world, to stay near Him to stay in the light and not move into the darkness. And maybe you're moving on the edge of darkness and God is saying, come on up. Move into into the light. Jesus comes to this blind man with the purpose of displaying the good works of the Father. And this is Jesus' entire purpose in ministry was to make much of the Father, to do the works of the Father, to say the words of the Father, Jesus not doing these things on His own. And He finds it fitting that now is the time to accomplish the works of the Father while the timing is right. We've seen many times the hour has not yet come. The hour has not yet come. Now the hour has come, at least for this situation. And so now we see in verses 4 through the first part of 7, the Father works in the light. 
Jesus says, we must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, He spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva, which is gross. Just going to say that. Then He anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. When Jesus says that they must do these works and do it in the day that night is coming, He's not talking about the end of the day is near. What He's talking about, doing the work now while the light of the world is in the world. Now is the time, not later. The works of God must be seen now. And there's going to be a time when Jesus does go and dies on the cross and there will be darkness, but then the light will come again with the Spirit. But I don't think this text is alluding to that. But now is the time, Jesus says. And then we have this method for healing. Again, I just literally, I gag when I see mucus and stuff like that. And I really sat around like, what would this be like watching this? Of course, the blind man couldn't watch this. He just sat there and received it. But being the disciples watching this, like, man, that's just gross. But it's the Lord's thing. It's what He does. And it is ultimately good. not trying to make a big point of that. But just showing my human side, of course. There's no clear description as to why He was spitting in the mud. Right? There's just like there would be no clear description back in chapter 8 as to why he would be riding in the sand before the woman caught in adultery. There's no clear description. But that's not the point. Jesus did all of his signs and he did them differently. I mean, you see with the water to wine, I mean, he had the servants fill the jugs with. Uh, water and by a word they were changed the lame man he just spoke a word and the man was no longer lame here he's actually doing something physical by spitting in the dirt making mud and putting on his eyes and so the point isn't necessarily the means or the method of which jesus is doing this but what it is that god is accomplishing ultimately through the act and here's the purpose That what Jesus is about to do is so that all might see. If you remember, in John's Gospel, you have this theme of light and darkness. There's individuals that Jesus is talking to in the daytime, and there are those, like Nicodemus, early on, he spoke to at night. The Samaritan woman in the daytime. Okay? And so this imagery here, again, of being in the daytime, being exposed for all to see God Jesus, the Father, the Spirit are not hiding. They are openly working so that the works can be clearly seen. But what also is remarkable about this passage is that we kind of get this front row seat of God recreating His creation. This is a theme throughout the entirety of Scripture. Of course, we know you know God's people, they... They're doing well and then they sin, and then they're doing well and then they sin, right? It's kind of this roller coaster effect. But you also see this theme of recreation. God created in the beginning, 
right? And the people sinned, and so through a remnant, God rebuilds. He recreates. Kind of like Noah and the flood. He destroyed, and then He recreated from Noah. It's a constant destruction, recreation, destruction, recreation, pointing us to the bigger, grander picture of being made new creatures in Christ. But even more than that, we get to see who Jesus really is. John 1 tells us that Jesus was a Creator. That through Jesus, God created all things. And so what Jesus is about to do is not outside His ability. Not outside His power. Not outside His authority. And what is the first thing that we see back in Genesis in creation? God spoke, right? And He spoke into existence light. In the beginning, God. So it was just God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Uncreated being. And then out of that nothingness, God speaks and creates light. A greater light and a lesser light. Jesus here is the light of the world. He shines as the light of the world unto all creation. All things God will recreate and they will all become visible just as it was in the beginning. On the sixth day, God formed Adam and He formed him from the dirt. Again, a method, a means. right? In the beginning, God just spoke and created all things and then here He uses material things to create His people. Jesus, the light of the world, uses dirt to recreate this man's sight. And so Jesus performs this act of God Creator, but showing us the bigger picture of recreation, transformation. And so then He sends the man to the pool of Siloam. Remember again, this pool was the place where the priests would go down and they would fill up the golden cups and take it back during the Feast of Tabernacle and pour it on the altar as a, uh, as a, a drink offering, as a water pouring offering representing to the people this everlasting water that God would give. These living waters. And so Jesus sends the man down to these living waters to wash his eyes out. God is in the business, church, of recreating us. Not throwing us in the dumpster. Not getting rid of us. But recreating us. Redeeming us transforming us into His image and likeness. The very core of who we are from the beginning. He is making us new creatures. And look, God is not afraid to show off His good works. He's not ashamed of you. He's not afraid of you. He's not disappointed in you. And He calls us to also mirror Him in showing off these good works. God is not sinfully proud or egotistical or boastful in showing the world and displaying His works so that this man might see. And it's not a sinful thing that God calls us to do the same. This reminded me of 1 Timothy where Paul tells Timothy these words in chapter 4, verses 11-16. through He tells Timothy, command and teach these things. 
Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. He's telling Timothy, do these works in the open, in the light, so that the church can see you. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Listen, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. Paul tells Timothy to openly set the example. To show the good works of the Father in His life. I know often we, we hesitate to do that because we are sinful in how we do things. We want people to see us. We want people to boast in us. We want people to be wowed by us. So we often go to the text of don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Right? But God is not calling us to just hide. He's also calling us to come out and display His good works. 1 Timothy also shows the qualifications for elders and deacons. These qualifications are qualifications that must be seen by the church, known by the church, understood by the church, agreed on by the church, not done in a closet in secret and hiding, but done openly and before everybody. It is a good thing to bring the works of God before all men. So I want to call you to be on display for the glory of God. Not for the glory of yourself. Take the light that you have that resides in you and take that light wherever you go. Bring that light here into the church community. May it be seen before your brothers and sisters, but also take this light wherever you go in the community. Let the world see Christ in you the hope of glory. So let us shine before the world. So what areas of life, maybe, have you allowed darkness to settle in and not exposed it with the light of Christ? Now is the time to take the light of Christ to those dark places. So the Father works through Jesus so the world would see His light and so the blind would receive sight. Verses 7-12, through 12, the Father works so that we can receive sight. So the second part of verse 7, so He went, the blind man that is, and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen Him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. The man's eyes were washed and his sight was gained. 
There's no real picture here of or description of the emotions or shock that overcame this man when after decades of being blind, he is now able to see. But what we do learn from this story more directly is that the man listened, he believed, and he obeyed Jesus. He listened, he believed, and he obeyed Jesus. He went and washed his eyes and came away with recreated eyes that could now see. So now he sees for the first time the affliction of this man has purpose. It has meaning. And the neighbors question. They come in and they're seeing this whole thing and they're questioning this man who's been born blind and it's sort of comical, right? It's like, you know, is this the same man? And he kept saying, yeah, I'm the man. Well, it, it is him. Yeah, it is me. Well, no, nah, I mean, he looks like him. Maybe it's his doppelganger. No, I am the man. Right? It's this constant dialogue. They just can't seem to get their head wrapped around it. The other night, we were having family worship. And family worship is always fun, uh, especially if you have kiddos in there. And we were talking about the sinfulness of the world and the brokenness of the world and how we become very acclimated to it, very familiar with it. And talking with our kids, one of my kiddos was like, hey, um, heaven is kind of scary because I'm really used to this, the way things are right now, and there's a lot of fun things that we can do, and, and I'm just not familiar with the eternal aspect of things. And then I came back around, and I was like, okay, well, let's think about the things that are fun. We like going to the beach, right? Oh, yeah, I love going to the beach. What's the one thing y'all are scared about at the beach? Oh, sharks, right? Well, you love going to the mountains, right? Oh, yeah. Love to go skiing sometime, right? Oh, yeah. What's the one thing we're scared about? Sitting 50 feet up in the air on a, on a ski lift, imagining the, the cable snap and us falling to the ground, right? Well, what about swimming? Oh, yeah, we love swimming. What are you worried about? Drowning. <laughs> it's like, these are all the things that you deem to be fun and there's always a fear or a risk attached to it. But the point is, when we come into contact with perfection, it throws us off. It's a shock to the system. We don't know what to do with it. It is a little bit intimidating and scary to think about life outside of this darkened haze that we live in every single day. We're used to this. We've, made, we've learned how to turn a broken and fallen world into something we can enjoy at times. And so there is fear of the unknown. And that is what is to be expected when darkness comes into contact with light. And so it is a shock to the soul. And it is a shock to this community that is around this man that they've seen for years on end begging, asking for money because he was blind. He couldn't work. He couldn't do anything. The only way he could make ends meet was by asking for money. And then all of a sudden this man sees you and I would be equally shocked. 
And so there's this conversation between the neighbors and the man after they settle this. Okay, we're convinced now this is the same guy who was blind, but now sees. But the question is, how did you receive your sight? And the man says, Jesus made mud. He anointed my eyes. I listened. I obeyed. I went and washed my eyes. And now I can see. And so they're like, okay, well, where is he? I have no idea. Never seen him before. (laughs) I couldn't even tell you if he was standing here right now among the crowd. I have no idea. So church, I want to call each of us to listen, to believe, to obey Jesus. Listen, believe, obey Him. At the end of the day, it's not allegiance to me or anyone else in this world that matters, but allegiance to Jesus, to Christ alone. Do you hear Jesus calling? Do you hear Him calling? What is He calling you to do? Do you believe the words of Jesus? Do you believe what He says is true? There was zero doubt. Zero question in the man who was blind here. There was no, are you sure? I don't know who you are. I don't know if I can trust you. He just did it. He believed. And maybe you're struggling to believe. And what is it that would keep you from believing? And what is it that might be keeping you from just obeying the Lord? Jesus has found you. He has spoken His Word to you. And you have received it by faith. And this is how you and I were saved from our sins. Some of you in this room today are still blind though. You're lost. And so I want to make a plea this morning and say today for some of you to hear the voice of the Lord. To respond in obedience and faith. The Word has been clearly read this morning. The words of Jesus could not be any more clear And so now it is time for you to hear His voice and to respond in faith, to turn away from your sin, to turn to Jesus and obey Him. Today is the day to respond to Christ, to turn away from the old patterns, to embrace the new. So do you hear His voice? Do not reject it, but receive your sight. Church, I want you to also embrace rejoicing. Embrace the call to rejoice. This passage doesn't speak of any sort of rejoicing, any sort of celebration here. I get that, but I cannot imagine this man to be any less than ecstatic when he received his sight. I want you to rejoice in the great work and the great mercy and grace that Jesus has given you. You and I can see because of what Christ has done. And that is great reason to rejoice. What other reasons do you have to rejoice this morning? Consider those. What have your eyes been opened to that you would not have seen had it not been for the grace of God? And I want to say this as well. Do not make your joy in the Lord dependent upon how others react to what God has done in you. There's always a delay. There's always 
skepticism that comes from others when God is at work in your life. When God got a hold of some of you, many around you could not simply recognize you. I know when I came to faith, nobody in my school understood who was walking the halls anymore. Even, especially my teachers. <laughs> when God got a hold of us, we became somebody entirely different. And people cannot figure out who we are. But consider the afflictions and pain of your life. Now consider how the Lord has given your affliction and pain purpose so that you can actually see Him. There is freedom and healing in that purpose. Step into the light and receive the Lord with rejoicing. Like this man received sight and had not yet even seen Jesus, so we sort of share in the same. It reminds me of a passage from 1 Peter 1, 3-9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Here it is. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There is reason to rejoice. There is purpose in affliction. There's purpose in suffering. It is meaningful. It is for God to display His mighty works in you to bring you to the light which is Christ. So God has given you sight to see Jesus by faith in the Word of God. Eyes to see you have every reason to rejoice. He's also given you eyes to see your suffering has purpose to display the works of God and that your life moving forward would not be a life overshadowed by darkness, but a life enveloped by the wonderful light of Jesus. Eva Hart, one of the passengers, the surviving passengers of the Titanic, she was seven years old at the time. She was a second class passenger with her parents, lost her father in the tragedy. She went on to live a vibrant life and spoke frequently about the Titanic and her approach to life. She says, and I quote, People I meet always seem surprised that I do not hesitate to travel by train, car, airplane, or ship when necessary. It is almost as if they expect me to be permanently quivering in my shoes at the thought of a journey. If I acted like that, I would have died of fright many years ago. Life has to be lived irrespective of the possible dangers and tragedies lurking around the corner. As Christians, though we have come out of darkness and continue to endure affliction and pain, that should not keep us from living in the light 
we now have through Jesus. Our lives may be a paradox to the world around us, and some may want us to live just constantly in light of the sorrow and pain that we had or can still have, but the Gospel of Jesus calls us to live a different life. A life that engages the darkness of the world with the light of Christ. So the Father has done a work in us through Jesus so His light might be displayed in us. The Father has worked to reach us in the pain. He has done so in the light and so that we might receive eternal sight.